All right. It's good to see you guys tonight. If you haven't been around here recently, we are continuing in our study of John. And John has been just a breathtaking experience as we've sat and learned at the feet of Jesus. And, and learned and connected to this idea that there is abundance of life found in a relationship with Jesus. And last week, Pastor Joe took us through one of the most beautiful prayers of Scripture. It's often referred to uh, as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And he prays for his disciples on the eve of his trial and his crucifixion. But that prayer isn't only for those disciples, but he prayed for all disciples who would believe his name. It's a beautiful reality to realize that Jesus himself prays for you and me. But John 18 kind of takes a turn that we don't expect. And it reminds me of a summer between my sophomore and junior year of high school. Now, some of you have been around here and heard my stories, and this is just another page out of my child labor stories, because um, I worked a lot as a kid, and I was 15 years old, and I was working on fishing boats in southeast Alaska, that's where I grew up, and every day I would be up by 7 a.m., and my job was to load the boat with all these carcasses of salmon. And I had to make sure that it got loaded right so that the boat didn't tilt from, from one side or to the other. And I would fill up the tank. And then I would fill up the deck of the boat. And there's a, along the edge of the boat, there's a gunnel. It's just like a rail about knee height. And I would fill the deck with fish all the way up to the top of that rail. And then we would take totes that were four by four by four, and we would fill those up with fish and stack them on top of the fish that were already on the deck. As you can imagine, it was a long day. My boss was out running around trying to conjure up other business because this was, frankly, awful work. And I, was, I had the opportunity at a young age to be operating cranes. I was responsible for a lot of things. And one day, my boss, I was really eager to run some machinery, and my boss told me, he said, I don't think you understand the significance of the danger of operating that crane. He's like, if, if one thing goes wrong, it could drop and, and, and kill someone if they were under it or seriously maimed. And as a 15-year-old, that didn't really click in my mind. I was just focused on the fact that I got to do a lot of cool things and have a lot of fun. I loved working as a 15-year-old. As a and thankfully, I didn't kill anyone with a crane, but, but my, my, the big kind of I told you so moment came later that summer. I was working 20-hour days. After we would load the boat, I would sleep as we we uh, took off to this bay where literally for about four to six hours we would pitch 
all of those carcasses of salmon into the bay for the, for the halibut to eat. And, uh, and then it was my job to take the boat back to town while my boss and the rest of my crew slept. Well, one particular night, I was incredibly tired, as you can imagine. A 15-year-old working 20-hour days maybe doesn't always make the best decisions. <laughs> and I decided on this particular stretch back home that was really long, straight course, there was no other traffic in the canal, that I would set some timers and take 10-minute naps. And initially, I, did, I woke up, and then I would reset the timer, and then I'd go back to sleep, and this continued on two or three times until the last time I woke up and I saw branches in the window of the boat. And I had taken and run my boss's $180,000 boat, his entire business operation, the livelihood of his family, and put it right on a rock. I truly had no sense of the significance of what my boss had told me earlier that year. But in that moment, the full reality of, of, of my, my immaturity struck me right in the face. It was, it was kind of a, an I told you so moment. My failure loomed large and I tried to quit because I thought that was the best thing and my boss was like, no, I'm not letting you quit. You're going to stay, and I'm not going to fire you, and I'm going to make your life miserable so that hopefully you learn something. <laughs> and if you're a, a parent of a teenager, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about, right? You, you'll warn your kids of something, and then what do they do? They turn around and do the exact thing that you just warned them not to do, right? The consequences immediately hit them on the chin. And John 18 is one of those moments. Jesus has been warning his disciples that things are about to get really hard. And it just seems to be lost on them. In John 16, 31, Jesus, has, Jesus says, do you now believe, indeed, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home and you will leave me alone? Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you, ha you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. Because I have conquered the world. I'm going to invite Amanda at this time to come up and read John 18, 15 through 27 for us. All right. Hi, everybody. Um, John chapter 18, verse 15 
to 16, Simon, Peter was following Jesus as was another disciple. That disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest. So he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter remained standing outside by the door. So the other disciple, the one known to the high priest, went out to the went out and spoke to the girl who was the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who was the doorkeeper said, Peter, you aren't one of the man's disciples too, are you? I'm not. He said, now the servants and the officials had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. They were standing there warming themselves and Peter was standing with them, warming himself. The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus answered him. I have always taught in the synagogue and in the temple, where all the Jews gather, and I haven't spoken anything in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who heard what I told them. Look, they know what I said when he had said these things. One of the officials standing by slapped Jesus, saying, Is this the way you answer the high priest? If I have spoken wrongly, Jesus answered him, Give evidence about the wrong, but if rightly, why do you hit me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas. Caiaphas? the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warning himself. They said to him, you aren't one of the disciples too, are you? He denied it and said, I am not one of the high priest's servants. A relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off said, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Peter denied it again. Immediately a rooster crowed. Thank you. Thanks, Amanda. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that the scriptures aren't just um, stories of people who have it all together. That there are stories of disciples who crash and burn. Lord, and I pray that you would help our hearts to be open tonight to hear from this story and what we can learn from it. Lord, I pray that we would see the heart of Jesus and the beauty of the gospel, even in the denial of Peter at the most crucial moment. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. So the scene of my failure was my boat on a rock, branches in my window. But the scene of the failure here in John 18 is, is a little bit different. At the beginning of, of John 18, Judas has sold the information about where Jesus was found. And this begins the, the last days of the life of Jesus, the most critical hours of his life. And it starts as Jesus is 
ushered into the presence of the high priest. In verse 15, Simon Peter was following Jesus as was another disciple. That disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest. So he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But what did Peter do? Peter remained standing outside by the door. And then in verses 17 and 18, Jesus prefers to stay warm by the fire instead of staying close to his Savior, close to his Master. What does it say? Then the servant girl who was the doorkeeper said to Peter, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? I am not, he said. Now the servants and the officials had made a charcoal fire. I just It's really interesting that the details that John gives, right? A charcoal fire. Why did, he, why did he emphasize that? Why does he give that detail about the scene? Because it, it appears that, 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 that Peter is, is only concerned in that moment for his own comfort. Peter was standing with them warming himself he was warming himself and then again in verses 25 through 27 simon peter was standing and warming himself they said to him you aren't one of his disciples too are you he denied it and said i am not one of the high priest's servants a relative of the man whose ear peter had cut off that Peter had cut off, said, Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Peter denied it again. Immediately, a rooster crowed. I wonder how often we come to this story of Peter. And we think to ourselves, I wouldn't deny Jesus. I don't, I don't understand. Why, why would Peter... Why would Peter deny Jesus? He's been walking with him for three years. But Peter, in this instance, moonwalks back from Jesus as the negative attention on Jesus grows. And then before long, by the end of the story, what is he doing? He turns and makes a run for it. In chapter 21, which will be the next time we see Peter after this scene, You know where Jesus finds Peter? He went back to the family business and he's fishing. Peter went fishing. I wonder how many of us have packed it in, loaded up, and moved out of town on the Jesus thing, right? When the going gets tough, when there's negative attention. How many of us have just decided to go fishing? Stay with our families. Go to work. Or just go it alone. We say to ourselves, my expectations haven't been met. My feelings have been hurt. I've been betrayed. I've been disrespected. So I'm done with the Jesus thing. But I just want to tell you that Peter's moonwalking on Jesus 
was no more a display of who Jesus was than any of the reasons that we come up with to moonwalk out on Jesus. Because, thankfully, John 18 isn't just about the character of Peter. No more than the failures that we have in our own lives, that, that it has to end there. Right? Jesus, Paul says in Ephesians, I was dead in my sin, but the grace of God. We all know failure well, don't we? We have tasted the shame. We have tasted the embarrassment, right? What do we do when we are in this moment just like Peter is? I want to draw your attention to who Jesus is. What does Jesus do in this situation? Well, first of all, I want to point out that it wasn't like Jesus was really caught off guard by Peter's failure. In the same way that he's not caught off guard by your failures. Right? Jesus warns his disciples about the challenges that are coming. Right? I read that passage in John 16. He, had, he explicitly tells them, right? that you will be scattered to your own home and you will leave me alone. He had warned them. He had challenged them. He knew that things were about to get tough. And he knew they were going to be tested in their character. I find that interesting, right? That as we approach... John 18, with G Peter denying Jesus, that Jesus, two chapters before, is, is just laying some groundwork for them, right? He's, 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 he's giving them some warnings, right? They're not really able to hear it yet, and they're going to step in it, and they're going to screw up, but he's already laying the groundwork for them. And then in John 17, Jesus actually prays for his disciples in, in anticipation of their hardship. What does he pray? John 17, 11, Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me. John 17, 12, while I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost. John 17, 15. I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. John 17, 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. These are all the things that Jesus is praying for his disciples in anticipation of the, the trials that they're about to face. And then John 17, 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. 
These are all the things that Jesus is praying. And then we see that Jesus remains committed to his mission in spite of the disciples' betrayal. I wonder how often we see things through when we've been betrayed by someone. What do we do when we get betrayed by, by people that we love, by people that we care for? Right? Do we, do we tend to live in our emotions? Do we tend to get jammed up and depressed and discouraged? No. Jesus remains committed to his mission. And what is that mission? Well, we're going to see in John 19, right, that Jesus is going to sacrifice his life for the sake of his disciples. He's going to sacrifice his life on a cross. So what am I saying? We just read through a whole bunch of scripture, laying some groundwork for what Peter, what Peter was doing, but we see what Peter was doing in the context of something bigger, and that was what, what, what Jesus was doing. This is the picture that I want to paint for you. Jesus is that friend that not only tells you there's a grenade coming in the foxhole, he jumps on it to save his friends' lives. Amen? Amen. Right? He's not just that guy that's standing off in the side. Hey, you're about to step in something. Don't step in it. And then he laughs at you when you step in it. No, he's, he's the one that's both warning you, he's, he's, he's telling you the truth, and then he's, he's going to go and he's going to help you when you're there in the struggle. John 18 and the story of Peter exists for us to realize that the gospel wasn't just for the godly. It was for the sinner. Right? Peter didn't surprise Jesus. It was the reason for his mission. Right? He came for people like Peter. And he came for people like you who have faltered in their stories, who have faltered in their journey, who have been warned and then still do it. Amen? Jesus is that friend that not only tells you there's a grenade in the foxhole, He's going to jump on it to save you. Look, I get what it's like to grow up in a home where failure isn't an option. I get what it's like to have to, to, have to be perfect at every moment so that you're not shamed, so that you're not talked down to, right? So that you can get a sense of love. Right? That's the home I grew up in. I get what it's like to have that internal voice that tells you to run when you failed. But let's get something clear. Jesus is nothing like those broken relationships that you're so familiar with. Let's 
So this, this is my main point. That was just the introduction. <laughs> because of who Jesus is, we can, in, we can admit our failures and be in communion with Jesus again. Let me say that again. Because of who Jesus is, we can admit our failures and be in communion with Jesus again. Right? Here, here's, here's, here's a takeaway for, from, for that. Right? How does this apply? What does this mean in our lives? If, if Jesus is who, who he says he is, as we've laid out to this point, he's, he's warning you, he's praying for you, right? He's, he's going to sacrifice himself for you. It, it seems really clear that Jesus loves you, that Jesus is for you, that he wants the best for you, and he wants you to be with him in heaven. If all of that is true, this is what I want to say. Relationship with Jesus can be faked, but never duplicated. Relationship with Jesus can be faked, but never duplicated. You can come to church, and you can throw your hands up, and you can be the worshiper, and you can show what it's like to be in relationship with Jesus. But here's how you know the difference. How do you respond when Jesus shows up? How do you respond when life hits the fan, everything comes apart, you're falling apart inside, and just like Peter, you've walked away, you've moonwalked away from Jesus? What is the difference between Judas and Peter? Corb, if you could put up John 21. Three chapters after Peter screws it up, right? Three chapters at this point in John is a lot of time. There's a lot of things that have happened. Jesus has gone to trial. Jesus has been crucified on a cross. Jesus has been buried and put into a tomb, right? Jesus has risen again, and he's visited multiple disciples, all right? A lot has happened before Peter comes back up in this story. And these words, when I read them, were just so breathtaking. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and the two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them. You don't have any fish, do you? No, 
they answered. Cast the net on the, on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did. And they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one who Jesus loved, that would be John, said said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off, and plunged into the sea. Since they were not far from land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire there. There's that charcoal again, with, with fish lying on it, and bread. Bring, bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus told them. Doesn't this moment just seem so delicate? One little detail layered on another detail, layered on another detail. And and you just see it unfold so carefully. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast. Come, come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. There's a sense of nakedness that reminds me of of Genesis 3, when when God comes back into the garden after Adam and Eve had eaten from the tree that they weren't supposed to. And even though he knew where they were, he asked them where they were, right? And he's gently leading in the situation. And in, in the we didn't, we're not going to read the rest of John 21. But ultimately, Peter is called by Jesus to lead his church, to be a shepherd in his church. Right? Jesus, wait. Sorry, I lost, I was looking at the wrong page. You can fake your relationship with Jesus, but it can never be duplicated. Our trials will chase out the unbelief, the pride, the, the, all the fake and false reasons that we have come to Jesus. And the question is, how do you know the difference? It is, how do you respond when Jesus shows up? Does your heart still go back to him? Do you, do you go to the shore when he invites you? Do you get the fish and, 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 and prepare this meal with Jesus when he invites you? Right? He's inviting. This is such a special moment where Jesus is having a meal with the disciple who betrayed him. A meal. He's inviting 
Peter back into communion. Right? And that's, that's the same thing for us. It's the same thing for us. All of us are Peters in this room, if you hadn't noticed. <laughs> We're all Peter. We've all betrayed Jesus. And the question is, when we are shown to be fake, do we go back to being in relationship with him? Or do we run and hide and go fishing like Peter does initially? So because of who Jesus is, we can admit our failures, family. We can be in communion with Jesus again, right? He invites us to breakfast. I don't care what you've done. He invites you to be in relationship with him. Right? We don't need to live under the weight of our failures. Jesus has already lifted them. Because of who Jesus is, we can admit our failures and be in communion with Jesus again. And that leads me to my second point. Growth is found in our communion with Jesus in the midst of our failures. See, there's a problem that we, we tend to reiterate in our lives, right? Like if you grew up in a family where you were abused, where you were talked down to, right? We tend to hide our failures because we don't want the chaos that, that it brings. And we get really good. We become masters of our craft, of protecting ourselves, of, of never really admitting anything because it's what we have to do to survive, right? And so when, when the going gets tough in our relationship with Jesus, we tend to pull back, because that's what we've been taught to do. Amen? It's been, we've been taught by our mom. We've been taught by our dad. We've been taught by our brothers and sisters. Right? You've got to protect yourself. You don't admit your mistakes. You don't admit your failures. But in Jesus, it's actually 100% the opposite. Right? We, we have to, even though it feels like we should run... Even though it feels like we should hide, we need to actually step into relationship with Jesus. Step into communion again, even though we don't feel like we deserve to be in his presence. We need to step back into his word. We need to step back into his church, even though we don't feel like we belong. I uh, I have a excuse me. I'm a SpaceX fanboy of sorts. I've loved to follow the SpaceX journey and process. And if you're not familiar with the way SpaceX designs and engineers rockets, they actually they have this, what's called an iterative, iterative process. They build a rocket, and then they blow it up. They purposely fail the rocket. And then they collect a bunch of data, 
They learn from what happened, and they build a new rocket. And they take the things that they learned from the first failure, and they create new design improvements in the second rocket. And then they blow it up. On purpose. <laughs> take it to the max until it explodes. They learn a bunch of stuff. Apply it to the new rocket. Right? So right now they're building a rocket. It's the 20th, <laughs> the 20th version of the rocket. So what if, what if failure was actually meant to be part of the process for us? What if we could stop being afraid of our failures and step into them because we know who Jesus is? Because we know that he loves us. Because we know that he's fighting for us. He's rooting for us. He's cheering for us. He's praying for us. Right? When we fail, we don't need to run and hide. We, need, we don't need to go fishing. We don't need to leave town. We don't need to leave church. We can step back into communion with Jesus. And we can be there in his presence. And we can learn we can look in the mirror because we know one thing, that no matter what we see in ourselves, Jesus has already seen. Right? Jesus went to the cross knowing that Peter was going to deny him. He already knew the failure was coming. Right? And he knows it's coming for each one of us. It's part of all of our stories. We need to get used to it. We need to grow some thicker skins. We need to learn that there's nothing to be afraid of in our failures. Is it hard? Yes. Is it embarrassing? Sometimes. But we call that progressive sanctification. Right? It was the very thing that Jesus prayed for his disciples in John 17 sanctify them in your truth your word is truth Jesus is committed to the process he knows what he's working with he knows who you are we don't need to run anymore The key to growing is learning to acknowledge our failures and re-enter communion with Jesus. Ultimately, growth is delayed in our lives when we run away from Jesus in the midst of our failures. It ensures that we'll likely have to continue to repeat the same mistakes over and over. Nobody likes... <laughs> have to make the same mistakes over and over right it leads us to places of hopelessness and discouragement but we don't have to stay there in Jesus and ultimately family because of who Jesus is we can admit our failures and be in communion with Jesus again so we need to learn to pray prayers like that of the tax collector in Luke 18 God have mercy on me, a sinner. God, have mercy. 
We don't need crazy prayers. We don't need to, to, to whip ourselves before we come back into the presence of God. We don't need to dress ourselves up and make ourselves look good. We come and we cast ourselves on the mercy of God. God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I screwed it up again. Amen. So ultimately, because Jesus didn't come for the godly, he came for the sinner, for the broken, desolate, and hopeless. He came for you, whose life is broken over and over and over again. He will forgive you over and over and over again. He will forgive you every time you ask. And in this way, every true believer will be kept in Jesus' name. Not because of your strength, but because of his. Not because of your love, but because of his. Not because of your greatness, but because of his. The story of Peter is really a story about Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, The part that we contribute to your story is, is, is like a stain. It's like dirty rags. It stinks. It's been like put in a plastic bag and, and kept away, right? Like, Lord, we don't add much good to the story of Jesus, just like Peter didn't. The real beauty in the story is found in who Jesus is. The real beauty is found in the fact that Jesus isn't like so many voices we've heard in our own lives. He stands there with open arms, pointing the way, making the sacrifices, holding our arms up, encouraging us, challenging us to keep going even when we feel like giving up. Lord, I pray that we would feel your love and your presence in a fresh new way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.